Hey, I'm Ryan Mallory, and this is my Swing Trading the Stock Market podcast. I'm here to teach you how to trade in a complex, ever-changing world of finance. Learn what it means to trade profitably and consistently, managing risk, avoiding the pitfalls of trading, and most importantly, to let those winners run wild. You can succeed at the stock market, and I'm ready to show you how. Hey, everybody. This is Ryan Mallory with Swing Trading the Stock Market, and I got a good episode for you guys here today. And I got an email here from a 19-year-old young man, fresh out of high school. He says, hi, Ryan. I'm 19 years old, fresh out of high school. I have a 9-to-5 contracting job and don't go to college. I don't have a career path and plan, but have started to get interested in trading recently. That being said, I've listened to your podcast and wanted to know what advice you'd give me as a beginner. And so here's the thing. I'm, I'm going to use this episode as an opportunity to tell my story in hopes that it would help this individual, and I'm going to call this individual Roscoe, by the way, from the Dukes of Hazard. Uh, Roscoe here, he, he's right out of high school. He has ambitions to be a trader, at least is finding himself interested in the stock market. And what kind of advice can I give him? Now, first off, what am I drinking? I am drinking Texas single malt whiskey pot distilled. This is from Balconies. Now, you might remember a couple of weeks ago, we had a Balconies baby blue that I had tried out. And I think that was just a regular whiskey. It wasn't a bourbon. And I gave it a 6.8. So I'm kind of curious, is this one going to beat the baby blues? When I look at it, it's got a nice amber brown color. I mean, it's really pleasant. It's not light and yellowish. Really nice color to it. And and on, on the nose, it's got this fruity, sweet flavor. So it, it, it kind of feels like it's going to have that pleasant taste to it probably just because of that the smells that i'm picking up on but no i mean when i when i try it it's like hot and dry it's not unsatisfying but it's just very hot and dry makes me want some mexican food quite honestly like cheap mexican food like i want to go to mo's or i want to go to chipotle and get some mexican food from there or i guess they call those tex-mex right some some tex-mex food the finish on it's a little bit on a licorice side so I don't think it's an everyday sipper. I could be, the reason why I don't think it's an everyday sipper is because when I drink it, I feel like I'm fighting through it a little bit. I'm fighting to be able to, to handle it. It's very hot. It's very dry. So it lacks that, that satisfaction that I would want to have in a whiskey or, or in what I would call an everyday sipper. For this score, I'm going to give it a 6-2. I, again, I don't think it's horrible. I, I don't think it's an everyday sipper. Don't think it's something I would go out and buy a full bottle of. Now, back to Roscoe and his questions about, you know, what would you give me as, a, as advice pertaining to a new trader, someone who is becoming interested in trading recently? I want to use this as an opportunity to go back and tell my story as it pertains to trading. Now, I have a unique path in the market. I didn't have a mentor. I didn't have somebody to help me out. There was not podcasts or YouTube videos when I first started out. Instead, it was very raw and very discovery-based trading and investing. So, Give you a little bit of a backstory. Prior to 1991, never even really heard of the stock market. Heard about it in passing, heard about it as it pertained to my dad investing for retirement, so forth. Then there was this lady that had raised my mom. She was like a godmother to my mom. We called her Grandma Adams. She was this Spanish lady that lived next door to my mom. My mom was being raised by her great grandmother, or I guess my great great grandmother, who I had never ever met before. But this lady next door took my mom under her wings and took her on vacations, gave her a Christmas when 
There was no presence under the tree. Just a just a wonderful soul. And she passed in 1991. I was 11 years old at the time. And I remember it pretty clearly. I remember coming home from church and my mom telling me that Grandma Adams had passed. Now, this is a woman who she used to bring the Cuban sandwiches from Miami and, and bring it to us up in Flagler Beach where I grew up at. And she'd bring back dozens of donuts. And she also taught me to lock the door on the bathrooms because when she stayed with us, she never knocked on a door, man. You'd just be sitting right there on the crapper and she'd walk right in on you. And, and you're like, hey, 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 this thing's occupied. So, <laughs> so I'm going down a little bit on memory lane, but I'm just giving you a little bit of an example because this, uh, this lady deserves it. Grandma Adams left me $5,000. Now she left every one of the kids. I'm, I come from a family of two brothers and a sister. And everybody got left $5,000 towards their college. Well, at the time, I was 11. My my sister was 25, so she was using it towards her college. My brother using it towards his college. My other brother, he was about five and a half years older than me. He was getting close to college. And then here, here was me. I was the, the youngest of four kids. I got the $5,000. My dad decided, well, you know, it's going to be a while before he goes off to college. Let's stick it in the stock market. Now, remember, this was 1991. This was at the beginning of when the stock market was getting ready to start an incredible run for the next eight to nine years. So my dad put this, the money in two different mutual funds. And he explained to me what he was doing. He's like, okay, this is how many shares you have. This is what a share is. This is the price. This is how you figure out how much money you have in each one of these. You take the share price times the number of shares you have, and that's what the investment's worth. Explain to me as well how the share price will go up and down because the stock market goes up and down each day, but historically it goes up over time. So I was excited about this. I was kind of interested. Is this $5,000 going to grow into $5,000.10? At the time, it never dawned on me that the stocks or the mutual funds for that matter could, could go down. So it was a whole new experience for me. So he taught me how to look up the symbols in the newspaper and how to, how to figure out how, what, what your stock did the day before. There was no internet, so I'm not looking at real-time quotes here. You had to look it up in the newspaper. And over the course of the years, these two mutual funds just kept going up. I mean, it was like every day these things would go up 1% or 2% or sometimes even like 3 or 4%. It was crazy. And there was times where I was like, man, why is the stock going down for the last five or six days? It could get really frustrating there. It's like, is this thing ever going to go back up again? Again, this was such a new experience for me. I was not even starting my teenage years yet when I was getting interested in the stock market. I remember in fourth grade, my teacher, Mr. Peters, he would bring in the newspapers every day and most kids would go for the comic section or the obits. That was like your goth people, right? <laughs> but, and you had, of course, a lot of people that were looking at the sports section, but nobody wanted the business section. So I always took the business section and I would always look at my stock quotes on the, the two mutual funds. And what was interesting at the time is I started drawing dots using my line paper about where they were each and every day. And at the time, I didn't even know anything about charts, but I was drawing charts and I was plotting them out over time to kind of see where they were at the day before versus where they were at a week ago. And I, all of a sudden, I'm looking at patterns here, and I didn't even realize it. I'm doing technical analysis or at least learning the ebbs and flows of the stock market, not even realizing it. And that would go on until I graduated high school. I started learning, too, that when you started getting too much into one particular stock, it became a much greater risk for some kind of like shock event to really set, cause it to sell off. So I learned what diversification was. My dad explained that to me, spreading it out among more than just one or two assets. 
And so by the time I graduated high school, I think there was like forty-eight or forty-nine thousand dollars, and that was because it was the dot-com bubble, and the dot-com bubble was insane. It also allowed me to go ahead and get my first computer, and the transmission gave out on my nineteen eighty-eight Oldsmobile. And when that went out, I, I used a few thousand dollars to replace the transmission, which was incredible. So I had to sell some shares there. So my overall net worth, I guess you would call it, as a kid, went down a little bit because of a new computer and getting a transmission for my car. But still, I had this mindset that stocks only go up. They're just going to continue to go higher. And I was thinking to myself, by the time I'm out of college or by the time I'm 30 years old, I'm going to have millions of dollars. And then again, the dot-com bubble blew up. And before I talk about that, let me tell you real quick about swingtradingthestockmarket.com. You're going to want to check this out. That's my patron account that goes along with this podcast. You can go to swingtradingstockmarket.com, get all my market research each and every day that I provide. That includes weekly updates on all my bullish and bearish watch lists, my daily trade setups that I'm following, as well as the most intriguing charts of the day, S&P 500, NASDAQ 100, Russell 2000 updates, and updates on all the FANG stocks plus Microsoft and Tesla. So check that out, swingtradingstockmarket.com. Now, the dot-com bubble blew up. And when it did, I started to realize for the first time Things can go really, really bad in the stock market. The dot-com bubble, it lasted, as far as it like blowing up, it lasted from 2000 all the way to 2003. You had all these companies that were dot-coms. People were obsessed with it, just like they've been ex- obsessed over the past year with SPACs and cryptos and all these other things. Dot-coms were the thing. These things could be running out of people's garages and nobody cared. They would just buy it. They had no revenue. They had mountains of debt. Nobody cared. They just bought it up, sent the NASDAQ to insane heights, and eventually... It popped, caused it to correct 87% over the course of like a three to four year period, bottomed in 2003. Over the time, I'm watching this $48,000 investment minus the money that I took out for a transmission and computer at the time, like drop all the way down to like $20,000. Yes, I still did pretty well considering where I, with the money that I inherited as a kid versus to where it was at the end of the dot-com bubble. But still, that was a lot of money to see, you know, just disappear like that. And we're seeing a lot of that today. We're seeing a lot of people who have made a lot of money in the stock market doing out-of-money calls or buying a lot of these uh, high-flying stocks, and they're starting to pull back again, and they're losing a lot of money, whether it's in crypto, whether it's in, like, meme stocks like GME or AMC. They're losing a lot of money. So when I graduated college in 2003... Like I said, that was towards the end of the dot-com bubble. I decided that I wanted to get a house out of college. And houses at the time were relatively cheap versus what they are today. I could afford it out of college. I think I was making like $30,000 out of college. It wasn't much. I think my salary was $33,000 working for a defense company. And I put a down payment on a house. Probably couldn't really afford it. They probably shouldn't even approve me. But that was the time where they were approving everybody because it was a subprime crisis. And uh, I used the money that I had in the stock market as a big down payment on the house. And that was part of the reason why I probably did get the loan fresh out of college. So then there was like this little hiatus right after college and the time when I bought that house where I wasn't really interested in the stock market that much. But then I started hating my job. Like a lot of you guys, I started hating the job and I started becoming interested in the stock market again. I remember I was trying to do a lot of investing at the time, like buy some stocks for the long term, And I would have some friends that would come in. It's like, oh, I just made like $200 trading this morning, uh, stock ABC or something or whatever it was. And I was like, I got to get into this thing. And so I had some subscription services with different newsletters and they didn't really teach you anything about managing the risk. And I, I lost some money on it. 
and I was just really frustrated. And so I started re- doing a lot of reading. I kind of got interested in the psychological aspects of it because when I was trading on my own in the very beginning, I was realizing that my emotions were just all over the place. And I was making most of my trading decisions off of gut feelings and emotions. I was holding trades through earnings. I wasn't using stop losses. I didn't have exit plans for when things went bad. It was during this time where I really started to understand the fact that I've got to protect myself. I've really got to start being a steward of my capital, protecting my capital, making protecting my capital my first and foremost responsibility as a trader. I had gone through the dot-com bubble and I had saw a portfolio that had gone from like $5,000 all the way up to $50,000 and then for it to crash. And then I started off trading, holding through earnings, not using stop losses, going off whims and gut feelings. And it didn't produce me anything. So I had to start asking myself, what am I doing this for? I've got to be able to protect capital because if I can make $10 on a trade or $1,000 on the trade, it doesn't matter if I go on to lose $1 more than what I made. Sure, it's great to make $1,000 on a $1,000 trade, but that doesn't mean anything if the next two trades you lose $2,000 combined. So there has to be something that differentiates a person who's successful in the market and can't find that success in the stock market and always boiled down to me that it had to be in how you manage the risk. It's the one thing that most people don't talk about. So I started looking into the stop losses, starting realizing what are the pitfalls in trading. One was biotech. Biotechs can just blow up on you overnight if you're on the wrong side of the trade. The other one was don't hold through earnings. I could never figure out how to make earnings work. I would hold, and then all of a sudden, the next day I was down 20%. I remember ARRS and SMSI. Those two used to get me all the time. And I was like, man, I'm already down 20% on these things and I just got in yesterday. Granted, if the earnings had gone well, I would have been up a lot. But the problem is, is trying to predict that. And if you're wrong, you're going to pay for it. So this is the, the formative time where risk management really became a key part of my trading. And as the years followed, I started SharePointer. And soon thereafter, I quit my job. And so SharePointer was huge for me. It was something that really just started off as a blog. And now I've got the trading block and I've got the podcast and I have the YouTube channel, and so much more. So it's really developed over the years, but not to fast forward too much. But the other thing that has really helped me as a trader and part of what I consider a a key aspect of my, my life as a trader is the fact that I've seen a lot of market crashes. We talked about the dot-com bubble already, and most of you guys listening here have probably never traded through something like that. I mean, the NASDAQ, like I said, lost 87% of its value. And then you fast forward to 2008 and the housing crisis and the subprime mortgages and how the market just fell completely apart. And what's interesting, I don't know, this is a little fun fact, I guess. The S&P 500, when it bottomed, I believe it was March 9th of 2009, it bottomed at 666. I always thought that was really, really weird. But nonetheless, that's your fun fact of the day. But I got to experience that too. And I, I remember going through that 2008 sell-off. It was a good solid 15 months of selling. And I just remember, I remember the December before in 2007 where I could feel something was not right in that market. Now, did I expect that you would have this massive sell-off? No. But you could feel it in the air almost. And then you had this sell-off that just never seemed like it could find its bottom. You would have plenty of times during the 2008 sell-off where the market felt like it was bottoming and it would go on a run for maybe two or three weeks and then it would just resume that selling and just keep making new lows. And there was times where everybody thought the whole financial system was going to crash. 
And then there have been subsequent sell-offs as well. You had one in 2015, but you also had the 2020 COVID crash, and that's probably what you guys are most familiar with for those who traded through it. That was getting pretty hairy too because we were shutting down a global economy and we we're still not recovering from it. I mean, we got tankers offshore. We got shortages of workers still. And whether it's 2000, 2008, or 2020, you're always going to have a big sell-off and it's always going to be a different kind of a sell-off than the one before. You had the dot-coms, you had the financial subprime mortgage, and now you've had the COVID pandemic. But trading for me has always been a passion. It's always been a love. It's what led me to quit my job at a company I really did not like. While I used technical analysis to make my trades and to make trading decisions, and I tried not to use my gut, I try to keep emotions out of the trade. I'm very emotional when it comes to what the stock market means to me and the impact that it has had on my life and on my family in a good way. Now, there's been some difficulties along the way. I've been divorced and uh, not by my own choosing, but um, there's been plenty of ups and downs. And I've learned that when it comes to difficult circumstances, you don't necessarily want to be trading through them. You want to try to avoid trading through a divorce and you want to try to avoid trading when you have a loved one died. I lost my mom about two years ago and I had to take a good week or two off to kind of get my bearings back about me. And that helped me quite a bit. So there's been plenty of rough patches along the way, times where I made some bad trading decisions, some where I missed out on some incredible opportunities like the LinkedIn buyout that stopped me out 30 minutes before the close on a Friday afternoon only to find out that on Monday morning it was bought out by Microsoft. But trading has been more than just buying a stock and selling a stock at a higher price. SharePointer has made such an impact on my life. It's it's become more than I ever expected it to. And and the people and the the folks that I've been able to trade with and work with, it never ceases to amaze me and provide just countless moments of joy and happiness. And I hope that you guys too, in your trading journey, whether you're in it at a very young age or just now starting to get into it in your retirement years. I hope that it can bring you a lot of joy too. Yes, there's going to be frustrations along the way, but it's such a growing experience for you. One of the best things that it has done for me is as a person, I'm probably prone to a quick temper and it has actually helped me to recognize that trading stocks will teach you how you react to money, how you react to loss, how you react to the abundance of money, the stock market will reveal a lot of your flaws as a person. And it's done that for me too. And I've embraced that and I've actually learned from that to where I don't allow my emotions, not just in the stock market, but even in my personal life, get the best of me. The stock market is an incredible teacher, not just for stocks, but for life as well. And so as I wrap up this podcast, I hope that you guys can draw some inspiration from my journey as a trader and uh, as a full-time trader as well. And I hope that you guys can map out your own path to success in the days and weeks and years to come. And my biggest lesson that I've learned along the way is to not get caught up in how much profits you're making in the stock market. Because if you manage the risk, and you guys have heard me say this plenty of times, the profits will take care of themselves. There will be dry spells in the stock market. There will be times where you've got to be more patient than you care to be. I feel like in this particular market, I've been far more patient than, than what I would like to be. But it has helped me out to avoid some, some nasty pitfalls along the way. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to this podcast. Make sure to follow it and get, get the updates at any time I do a new podcast episode. 
Also, make sure to leave some reviews, man. You guys have got a lot of them out there for me, and I hope that you guys can continue to put some in there if you haven't done so yet. Make sure to leave a review, whether it's on the Apple, Amazon, Spotify, whatever platform you're listening to or whatever platform affords you the ability to do that. Please do so. It means the world to me. Thank you, guys, and God bless. Thanks for listening to my podcast, Swing Trading the Stock Market. I'd like to encourage you to join me in the SharePointer Trading Block, where I navigate the stock market each day with traders from around the world. With your membership, you will get a seven-day trial and access to my trading room, including alerts via text, email, and WhatsApp. So go ahead, sign up by going to SharePointer.com slash trading block. That's www.SharePointer.com slash trading block. And follow me on SharePlanner's Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, where I provide unique market and trading information every day. If you have any questions, please feel free to email me at brian at All the best to you, and I look forward to trading with you soon.